the Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike Lupica has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we'll be talking with a man who, I mean, he has his finger on the pulse of the NBA and all of the these big games. He was a former coach. He is currently working with ESPN and ABC as a color commentator. That is my friend Jeff Van Gundy. Before we get started with Jeff, a word from Gillette. Every morning I use my Gillette razor. I know what I'm getting, a great shave. It's been a consistent part of my daily routine and, and, and my dad's for such a long time. My dad used a Gillette, so there was never anything else in our family. My Pro Glide and Fusion Cream give me the close, comfortable shave I'm looking for. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy. The new Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors start at $7.99 and deliver even more options for every guy by offering trusted quality at an affordable price. The Gillette 3 and the Gillette 5 are both available in stores. For guys looking to get Gillette Performance delivered to their door, you can find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Check it out today. That's GilletteOnDemand.com. Welcome back to the Mike Lupica Podcast. We are coming to you today on the eve of Game 3 of the NBA Finals. And I'm talking to my friend Jeff Van Gundy, who is part of a superb broadcasting crew uh, for ABC and ESPN with uh, Mike Breen and Mark Jackson. Uh, obviously coached the, the Knicks to, to the NBA Finals in 1999. Should have won a championship a couple of years before that, but he got screwed. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. He got screwed by a, 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 a stupid rule in the NBA. They coached the Rockets after that and has been in television for a long time and has been uh, a breath of fresh air from the time he sat down, mostly because of common sense. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, Mike? Jeff, you must have loved... I flashed back the other day when, when Kevin Love was really doing nothing except wandering a couple of feet out on the court to think back to when you got screwed out of a championship because a couple of your players basically wanted to get a better view of a fight between Charlie Ward and P.J. Brown. No question. I, I, you know, I, I think back on that a lot, and uh, I give Adam Silver and his whole decision-making process, a lot of credit because the whole point of the rule of not allowing bench players or guys on the bench coming into an, a fight is because it escalates. And taking one step on the court um, is not escalating it. So he went with the spirit of the rule versus the letter of the law. And I think that was very wise. Uh, I think, you know, Cleveland, people could say they benefited, but I think – Common sense prevailed. The league benefits when its leader utilizes common sense. And in this case, I give Adam Silver a lot of credit. You know, we're talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Gillette Hotline, and you know that I wrote this at the time, and it's quite vivid to me, even 20 years later, and that was the column I wrote at the time. There's the spirit of the law, and there's the letter of the law. And Jeff, I said at the time, and I've been saying for 20 years, that rule wasn't written 
to penalize guys like Patrick Ewing, your stars, for walking out onto the court a little bit. That was rule was written so that scrubs didn't go in and become like the third man in in a hockey fight. There's no question. And the rule's a good rule. The, the idea that to keep everyone on the bench, uh, it's a great rule. But like you said, there's a difference between running onto the court and escalating an altercation and the natural curiosity of taking a step out to get a better angle to see what's going on. And so in this case, Kevin Love, as you, as everyone saw, he, he took a couple steps out, looked around, the assistant coach sort of nudged him back a little bit and no harm and no problem and an excellent ruling and anything else, any other type of ruling, like a suspension would have been a travesty for the game. Jeff, uh, there's so much to unpack just out of the first two games of this series. Let's let's go back to game one and 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 back it up from when Kevin Love wanted out because of something happened. Sean Livingston took a shot at the end of a blowout game, and Tristan Thompson got ejected for. Jeff, I've been saying that elbow that Tristan Thompson uh, allegedly threw is is more phantom than the phantom punch that Ali hit uh, Sonny Liston with one time in in Lewiston, Maine. But let's go back to the charge block call on uh, Durant and LeBron James. And Jeff, here's what, uh, you know, I wrote this the other day. No one knows what would have happened in the last 36 seconds because you know what? That's sports. So we don't know if the Cavaliers would have produced two points and gone ahead four and gone on to win that game. And I'll add one more thing. There was no law passed that (laughs) that they couldn't play better in the overtime than they did. But Jeff, that is another rule that wasn't written so that the refs could go back, change a call that should have been a charge on Kevin Durant. It was such a bang-bang play, Mike. To me, however they ruled it on the floor, you could make a case for it. We we employ Steve Jabby, the longtime great NBA referee. He, He said after he watched it a few times and on air, he said he thought it was a charge. They go over and they rule it a block. Here's the problem to me. It's the only foul call that can be reversed is when they say they're going over to review whether it was a restricted area call. And then if they see that, however, the restricted area was officiated, they can change whether it was a block or charge. I have no doubts. LeBron James was a foot and a half out of the restricted area. Which you said in the moment, by the way. I don't even know why they had to replay it because I didn't even think it was close in a bang-bang moment, Jeff. I'll tell you why. Because they know Tony Brothers had a block call. Ken Maurer had a charge. They know the only way they can get over there to review is to scam the system and say, oh, we're unsure if it's a restricted area call. That way they can get over to uh, replay and see. Now, I think once they got over there, I was under the impression there had to be clear and conclusive evidence to overturn it. To me, all the referees can have different opinions. And if, if they can vary on their opinions it's not clear and conclusive it should have stayed what was called on the floor which was a charge and here's the problem with replay mike for me is game one right the three main topics of game one after the game were jr smith's blunder right the block charge overturn right oh and yeah by the way let's talk a little bit about lebron james's 51 the only sixth player in history who's gone over 50 in a finals game. It pushes the great play into the background, and here we are talking about 
stupidity and an official's overturn. And I, I think replay started with the best of intentions in the NBA. And in a very limited scope, it was good. The more it's broadened, I think it's gotten really, really cumbersome to the game. And I don't think it serves as a positive force for pro basketball. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Gillette Hotline. And, and, and Jeff, you know, in the other sports, there has to be, and whatever the language is technically in the rule book, indisputable evidence to overturn the call on the court. Now, the call on the court in the moment was a charge. Okay, I know the two refs saw it different, but it was called a charge. And, and t- to me, once you bring that sort of subjective call to the replay table, can you imagine how long NFL games would take, Jeff, if they reviewed every single pass interference call? Just start with that. Oh, I agree. And and listen, to me in the NBA, because fouls are the most critical uh, calls, right? right? We are we on the on the path to like having a, a challenge flag or being able to charge uh, challenge fouls? I think because, we are. Yeah. Yeah, to me, I don't know about you Mike and I'm not sure about the the fan. But to me, the review and replay system was put in for one group of people. To protect the officials yes. from egregious errors. Egregious errors to me are, let's say, last second shot. They say it didn't get out of a guy's hand in time, but it did. I get it. I understand why you want to have replay. I, want, I understand why you'd have replay on the three-point shot and the two-point shot. Maybe even out of bounds on occasion. But the growing list that keeps getting added year in and year out, to what can be replayed, it just, to me, along with fouls, the game slows down. There's not nearly enough action. And as a fan of other sports, that's all I want. Cut out all the dead time, give me the action, and I'm good. Jeff, when you saw uh, J.R. Smith, again, and you're responding in real time, you and Mark and Mike are, okay? When you saw him pull the ball back out, was it clear to you as as, as someone who grew up in this game, a son of a coach, brother of, of a coach, that, that he had forgotten what the score was? Well, I think, you know, take it back to the start of the play, right? Kevin Durant was uh, in the first space, or, you know, to block out Smith with Kevon Looney in the game. And my initial thought was, why does Golden State have Durant in the blockout position when he's light and can be moved? Right. So that was number one. When the shot took place and Smith got the ball, th- my initial thought to why he was dribbling it out was that Durant's size um, would have made Scared him tough. away from the basket. Right. So I didn't initially think he was going to take like he was forgotten the score because what I thought he was doing is trying to get a better angle to get get the ball to James at the top of the key James was wide open at the top of the key and if Smith the moment he had cleared the lane had reversed it to James at the top of the key James would have had you know 2.5 to shoot drive whatever he was going to do but when he continued on to half court you automatically knew He had forgotten time and score. And listen, you're always preaching to your team, right? Dumb gets you beat. And to be a smart team or a smart player, it starts with five basic things that you should always know as a player and as a team. The time, the score, the shot clock, 
the penalty situation and timeout, right? So that's the basics. And unfortunately, in that time, Smith didn't know time and score. Right. James didn't rem- know that they had a timeout. Right. Right. I mean, so this was a, a lot of screw ups, but a great teaching point to really all athletes that stupidity after a hard fought game can really hurt you. And what did the JR's blunder do? It took George Hill and Kevin Durant off the hook. George Hill for missing the free throw, Kevin Durant for missing the blockout. Right. Jeff, I've been a big defender of Tyron Lue uh, throughout these playoffs. There have been things that I quarreled with, but I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a good person. I think he's got a great basketball mind. But let me play devil's advocate, okay? Because, yeah, dumb does get you beat. But when you got your players around you, okay, don't you have to say at some point, okay, if we make the first, miss the second, remember we've got it. Was all of that discussed before that play? Well, I'll tell you this, the the one thing, and it didn't happen at a timeout, right? So they're going at the, they're at the other end of the floor. You can't bring everybody over, right? Right. right. Now you can call James over or and say, we got a timeout. Right? If just make sure you know that if we miss the second, we got time to call timeout right away. And we're probably going to end up with, you know, three seconds on the clock. Right. And I would say this, even if they would have rebounded, I would rather play out of the scramble situation than call timeout. But once there was an absolute screw up, if James would have been more decisive, they could have probably called timeout with what? 1.5 by the time uh, J.R. Smith was dribbling out right. at half yeah. court to celebrate their win. Right. So, yeah, I mean, as a coach, you're not always to it's not always your fault, but it is your responsibility. And if there is a lack of clarity on those things that we talked about, like time, score, shot clock, all that, the one I think people have a legitimate question on, why was James not in the spot where Smith was? Because on that miss, if he rebounds it, you have the greatest finisher in the game going back up and putting it in. So, yeah, I think as a coach, I I agree with everything you said about Ty Lue. Terrific, terrific coach, even better person. Uh, but he, as a head coach, right, you have to shoulder the responsibility when your team does not play uh, with as much basketball IQ as it needs to. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Mike Lupica podcast. He's on the Gillette hotline. We're on the eve of game three in the NBA finals. Jeff, when, when you look at um, the Cavaliers and, and you know, we, we've, talked throughout the playoffs about essentially how little help LeBron has needed game to game to get his team over the hump. And on this night, <laughs> I thought about it afterwards. He, he was competing against one of the great teams of all time. He turned out to be competing against J.R. Smith. He turned out to be competing against George Hill, who missed a free throw that might've won the game <laughs> and three refs one on 10, Jeff, that's not a fair fight. It was one of the truly great performances and could have easily had, what, five, six, seven more assists? You know, like, I mean, uh, I, it was... His decision-making, Jeff, I said to one of my sons, I said, saying to Zach Levick afterwards, his decision-making, whatever happened after he passed the ball, was as good as I'd ever seen it in that game on top of the 51 points. Yeah. 
I always marvel at this, Mike. LeBron James may go down uh, as the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. I mean, it's it's within his sights. It's, a lot has to go right because Jabbar was obviously such a prolific scorer for so long. And if he does become the all-time leading scorer or in the top two or three, he's done that, and that's only his second best skill. You know, his passing <laughs> is his best skill. So how about having maybe possibly an all-time leading scorer, and oh, by the way, that's not even what he does best. What he does best, as you mentioned, was passing, decision-making, uh, truly a phenomenal, phenomenal passer. You know, going into the Houston series, when I looked at Golden State, I, I in fact, I was wrong about one thing. I, I thought it was going to be a shorter series against the Rockets, okay? And for this reason, I thought if Steph Curry is Steph Curry, then as great as Houston had been during the regular season, I didn't think the sides were even. And when when you saw what he's done in the first two games of, of the final, th- then you have a right, even with LeBron James in the gym, Jeff, to, to wonder how you beat this team because Durant has scored 26 in each of the first two games. And there have been flashes when you thought he was the best player in the gym. But, but sometimes I thought he was playing passively and and then curry goes crazy and you wonder how do you possibly defend this team and then you throw in the fact that in game two they shoot 57 percent well some of the things that curry does you know we all talk about his long-range shooting and he's really revolutionized uh point guard play shooting the three off the dribble and you know a step or two behind the line so that gives him he doesn't have blow-by speed, but because you have to guard him at, you know, 28, 30 feet, he has so much more room to drive the ball. So you have that aspect. But the thing that every aspiring player should look at with Curry is how much he's willing to move and cut and be in great condition to do that to get the ball in advantageous positions. Right. He, very few players now move without the ball. They want the ball, and Durant is, uh, that's his, I thought he improved last year. I think he's regressed this year. He wants the ball brought to him, and then he goes one-on-one, and he's maybe the best one-on-one player in the NBA. Curry, on the other hand, will, like, drive it, kick it, sprint to the three-point line, uh, may get it, run off a baseline screen, he will not stop. And so he doesn't get it every time he's open, but he continues to put pressure on his defenders time and time again. And if you have a lapse or a breakdown, he's poised to take advantage of it. So to me, it's the combination, the great ball handling, the long-range shooting, the shooting off the dribble. But the under-talked-about aspect of his game, his willingness and conditioning to move without the ball. Jeff, does he run more than Reggie did? He runs different than Reggie did. He'll, you know, he's not going to run like, you know, go down the baseline, run on baseline screens time and again. They play more uh, freelance type basketball. So he has, uh, you know, he just uses his basketball IQ to pass, move, cut, sometimes go to the baseline. So it's different movements. It's in shorter areas. He is so quick in short spurts, like pass and sprint to the three-point line, and they touch it back to him. And that's how he got that four-point play 
when Kevin Love had switched on to him because he got that separation in in about, you know, a 10-foot area. He got about five feet of separation, which puts Love, you know, trying to catch him. He goes for the shot fake, um, and, he, and he escaped dribbles for a three one time against Nance. And then with Love, you know, Love tried to close late and ends up fouling him on a three-point make. Jeff, I'm looking. At, I've got it in front of me. I'm looking at the box score of of Game One, which I, I believe ultimately, w- whatever series w- w- we could have had. And I'm not writing LeBron off. I would never write him off because um, I want to talk to you about Game Three a year ago because that was the, the the really the clincher for the Warriors. He scores 51. Kevin Love plays a very nice Kevin Love game. 21 points, 13 rebounds. Jeff, they have one other guy in double figures going up against, oh, by the way, the Golden State Warriors. And, and they nearly won the game. Yeah, and it, t- it shows you the greatness of James. I think Golden State came into that game uh, with a little bit of a hangover from the Houston series. Uh, I thought the Houston-Golden State uh, series was for the championship, and I still do. But Golden State, I think, did too. And they, I thought they slept walk uh, a lot of game one. And game two, I think, was more representative of who they are. I thought their pressure, attacking ball pressure, was much better in game two. Uh, I thought they were sharper on offense. And even then, Cleveland was hanging around, hanging around, and then they got you know, hit with, an avalanche in the fourth quarter. The great Jeff Van Gundy, and I do mean great. If you listen to these games, you know what I'm talking about, is our guest on the Mike Lupica podcast. Much more with Jeff after this from LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. With 70% of the U.S. workforce already on LinkedIn, it's a great place to find talent. Businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, even yours and mine. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out. Go to linkedin.com slash lupica and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash lupica for your $50 credit today. That's linkedin.com slash lupica. Check it out today. Terms and conditions apply. Jeff, stick it on game one for one second. I mean, I thought coming into the series that there were two huge figures for the Cavaliers, and, and they didn't have to both play good on a given night, but one of them had to, and that was Thompson and, and Corver. And in game one, Corver makes one basket, Thompson makes one basket, and only gets five rebounds. They And, and again, I keep I know it sounds like I'm stuck on this, and they still nearly won the game. Yeah, I think Golden State is uh, their ability to negate Corver uh, with their switching out on him. Uh, is real. I think it's going to be harder for him to get going. Uh, Tristan Thompson, because he's so agile defensively, I think he can still have a huge impact on the series. I think either he or Nance, preferably both, Nance was terrific in game one, uh, but they have to have one of them pounding the offensive glass to give them extra possessions. 
if they play at a possession disadvantage to Golden State, they have no chance because they're not going to outshoot Golden State. Golden State with Durant, Thompson, Curry, you know, they're just too good. So they have to have more possessions, and that means turn it over less and get second shots. And you're right to me. Tristan Thompson, uh, who was very good against Boston, uh, has to be great here in Game 3 for them to have a chance to win. Yeah, I mean, he's got 10 rebounds combined in the series. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy on, on the Gillette hotline. Jeff, I've been watching these games, and and just you see how when LeBron's not around the basket, how little interior defense um, the, the Cavaliers have, except when Nance or Thompson makes a play. And you know what I was thinking about the other night? Watching the Cavs uh, try to keep even, a, you know, not a great rebounding team, but a good rebounding team like the Warriors off the boards. Remember that game seven when after Kendrick got hurt that time for the Boston Celtics and they just couldn't keep Gasol off the boards in the second half of game seven and it ended up catch, it costing him a championship. The Cavaliers have no interior defense. No, they're really tiny. I mean, Tristan Thompson, their starting center is probably six seven. Larry Nance is a light six nine right so they're not a you know a big team and it's not just at that position it's really all around they're just not big and i think you know you mentioned in boston from what was it 2010 i think um i think one of the reasons the celtics in present day have a good chance is i think they have good overall size at all positions and i think um you know cleveland they're just not big you know they're just and they don't have a lot of guys who naturally rebound the ball. It's going to have to be Thompson. It's going to have to be James. And hopefully for them, Jeff Green can uh, dial up some magic like he had against Boston uh, in game six and seven. But he's been invisible so far to start this series. You can't talk about um, th- th- this series with, without talking about uh, the impact that, that Draymond Green has on a, a game-to-game basis. And I, I know he's a hothead, and he does chuckle-headed things on the court. But but his skill set, you know, it, it's like all the things that Marcus Smart did for the Celtics in their wonderful run to the Eastern Conference Finals, Marcus Smart is like Draymond Green on training wheels, okay? And he doesn't shoot the ball nearly well enough. But when those are guys, and even though we talk about Draymond's triple doubles, I'm not even sure you can even statistically measure his value to his team. Well, I agree, because you have these shooters and scorers, right? You need someone of grit, and substance. So what he gives them is obviously he can guard multiple positions. His best skill to me is his ability to defensive rebound and lead the fast break. Um, even in the half court, even though he's not a scorer in the low post, they'll throw it to him in the low post. And because of his passing ability, they start all of their cutting action. He makes the right decision. Uh, and listen, he's going to be left open a lot because he's not a good shooter, but he has a sense of when to pass and when to shoot. He can make a timely shot, but he also knows how to get the ball to the best shooters and how to screen for the best shooters. He does a lot of things that are in the stat sheet, and he does a lot of things that help you win that will never be recorded on a stat sheet, but are absolutely invaluable in the pursuit of a championship. And I know I'm talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Mike Luka podcast. I know that you, you know, you rely on me for, 
for talking points going into these big national telecasts. So don't go to sleep on game three last year. I went back the other day because I was curious and I'm thinking, God, a lot happened at the end, but I didn't remember what specifically. I forgot that the Cavaliers were up six with three minutes to go and never scored another point in that game. I didn't realize that either. I remember Durant shot. They ran 11 points at the end of that game, and it became three-zip that night, and the series was over. But the the Cavaliers were winning that game. And it, it was, I think it was 113-107 with around three minutes to go, and they never scored again. Wow. You know, and that's how, you know, listen, Cleveland doesn't have to play perfect because I don't think Golden State's as good as they were last year. Uh, Iguodala, I think, is coming back tonight, so that'll help from a depth standpoint. So they can play an experienced uh, performer like Iguodala, and they might not have to play Nick Young, who is sort of inconsistent and all over the place. Uh, but Cleveland's going to have to be, you know, really good because they're just not as good defensively. They don't have the habits, and I don't think they can win a shootout. I think, you know, last year, what Kyrie get thirty eight in that game three. Uh, and then 40 in the game they won. Uh, they don't have that other guy. So to me, they're not going to be able to, you know, beat the Warriors 120, 115. It's going to have to be down, you know, 105, 100. Uh, and to do that, they're going to have to play a heck of a lot better defense than they've been able to so far. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Mike Lubica podcast. Jeff, um, uh, there, there was a great moment back in the uh, 80s when the Celtics had McHale and Bird and Parrish, and, and I think the Knicks had uh, Ken Bannister and Bob Thornton, and they were lining up for the opening tip, and Marv Albert was doing the game, and he read off the starting teams, and then he, t- he paused and he said, who chose up these sides, okay? So, and and when, when you look at the Cavaliers team, which which has the greatest all-around player of all time. Stefan Bondi wrote this in our paper the other day, and he made a pretty good point. We constantly talk about how LeBron is being let down by this teammate or that teammate or or a whole group of teammates. He didn't get served very well by his front office with the way this team was put together. Well, everyone at the point of the Kyrie trade, um, I don't think understood the magnitude of Isaiah Thomas's injury or the magnitude of his uh, shortcomings defensively. And so then Jay Crowder, who they thought was going to be their athletic 3-4, never really got going and got started. So now all they have to show for that is the eighth pick in the draft, which you can't play in a game this year. (laughs) So now they go in midseason and they make a bunch of trades, and initially it looks really good. Uh, But since then... Nance has been the only positive contributor right. in this playoff run, right? So Even Hill has with, given him less than I thought he was going to, Jeff. Yeah, no. He, he Well, he was injured for uh, three games in the Indiana series. I guess he should be counted. He's, he's actually had an impact in their wins. I, I, I'm shortchanging him. I thought he'd actually play better. But, you know, Rodney Hood um, just has not found his way there. Uh, Jordan Clarkson has been, uh, I, I think, really uh, uh, bad in in the last two rounds of the playoffs. I mean, he just, you know, the ball won't go in for him. So it really, 
hasn't been uh, a stellar, you know, trade year for the Cavs. Uh, and here they are still in the NBA Finals. And as you mentioned a number of times, at 4.7 seconds, they had one free throw to go ahead yep. and close it out with one defensive stop. And you don't know what would have happened, Yeah, but the whole tenor and tone of this series would have changed with that game one win. It, it may turn out when this thing's all over and say the Warriors win in five again, that those 36 seconds were as devastating to the Cavs this year as the last three minutes of game three were last year. We're talking to Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff, when you say LeBron loses in four or five, okay? And again, a lot could happen. And and you have said, and Pat Riley has said, and everybody always says, the series doesn't start till the road team wins a game. I, I get all that, okay? But if he gets his doors blown off again, do you think he's going to stay? You know, I, I don't know what his priorities are, Mike. I don't know if it's uh, to stay in one spot now, if it's to uh, give himself the best chance of winning a championship, if it's trying to give himself the best championship or best chance to win a championship, but with a max contract or to live in a certain area. Maybe he's he wants to live in a certain area um, like L.A. I don't know what his priorities are. Uh, I know there's a lot of speculation out there, but one thing I admire about James, he keeps that part very close to the vest. It's either him and his family or him and a couple friends and his family. No one else knows. Everyone's speculating. I, I think if he wants to win a championship, it's hard to say I'm going to go to the Western Conference uh, huh. and have a better chance unless I go to Golden, Golden State or to Houston. And then if he's going to stay in the East, it's hard to say he would have a better chance any place but Boston or Philly. So to me, um, I would really suspect he's gonna he's gonna go for championships, and uh, I think he may surprise us. I just don't think he'll take less than a max contract. I just don't. Could the Celtics? You 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 know way more about the finances of this sport than I will ever know. Okay. Could the Celtics make a max contract work with him? Well, they would have to shed a lot of salary to do that. And I think they're they're probably feeling like we have a long window, and what we do have is very good uh, wing players. Hayward coming back, Tatum, Brown. You know, would they sacrifice one of those guys and like an Al Horford and do a sign-and-trade? Would Cleveland do that? I don't know. But uh, – I. Listen, I think when you're a general manager like Danny Ainge or Daryl Morey in Houston, you know, or um, the 76ers, you got to be thinking to yourself, this guy isn't declining right now. He's still ascending as a player, LeBron James. If we can get him, we give ourselves a lot better chance to win. And I, I think they're all going to be trying to figure out if that's possible. We're talking with Jeff Van Gundy on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with Mr. Van Gundy in a moment. But first, a word from Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Just switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? 
Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about a homeowner's or renter's insurance? You bet. Geico's got you covered. Go to geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's geico.com. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy on the Gillette Hotline. Again, we're on the eve of game three of, of the NBA Finals. You know, the, I love the way, wh- wh- there are many things I obviously love about your commentary on the NBA because there's never been anyone quite like you doing these games. But I love the way you respond in the moment. And the other night, you touched on something that I have been screaming about for a long time. When you grab a guy who's in the clear, who's going to go in for a layup, there should be more of a penalty than sometimes not even getting free throws. I just don't understand our rules sometimes, Mike. And we're trying to encourage, and we, or, and we should, transition opportunities. So why do we then allow players to take intentional fouls in transition? I I just don't understand. If I have numbers and I'm coming down the floor and all I have to do as a defense and I'm not in the penalty is grab somebody and the ball gets taken out on the side, how is that good for the game? We want action at the rim. We want dunks. We want attacking plays. And yet in some of the most exciting plays, we let fouls come into it. And I think the NBA has to do a long study on fouling. Fouling to me should never be advantageous. That's why I, I hate the hack of whoever. I hate the fouling in transition, as we spoke about. I, I think they have to have an additional penalty for intentional fouls. I think it should be two shots and the ball. And I think once a team gets over a certain number of fouls in a quarter – Right. Let's say it's seven. After the seventh foul, everything, every free throw should be three to make two because there has to be more of a penalty to discourage fouling and encourage action. God, I mean, you said three to make two. I was thinking, boy, those were the good old days. Jeff, Jeff I, I used to, back to love Warriors. three to make two. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> That, that that brought me back to my ute, as they say. Jeff, Jeff what do you make of Kevin Durant? I, I think the one thing we see in this series is that when Steph is healthy, and even when he's running around without the basketball, I, I still believe he's the alpha dog on, on, the, on this team. It's his team more than it will ever be Durant's, and, and for more than he was there first, okay? Well, do, do you think Durant, who, by the way, had a great stat line, the other night. I mean, really good. I mean, he had 20. He wasn't all that terribly far from a, a, a triple double. He had 26, seven assists, nine rebounds. And and sometimes I, I, I hate to use the word passive because I know he's trying, but, but sometimes it just looks to me like he's just out there. Well, I think when you go uh, as a, you know, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, he's going to go down as one of the greats to ever play at the small forward position. Yep. But when you go and join other greatness, sacrifice is required. And I think it's usually required more so of the person coming in than the holdovers like Curry or Thompson. And so I think he's in a constant uh, battle to find that fine line between uh, looking to score on every catch, as he used to do in Oklahoma City, and figuring out how to remain aggressive in Golden State, but also uh, make sure that the others are getting fed as well. I don't think that's an easy thing. I think uh, for Durant, uh, he's had to really sacrifice a lot. 
And uh, I think sometimes he finds that right level of aggression. And then other times I think uh, he has such a quick trigger on like hard shots, particularly the contested three off the dribble, that he he isn't putting nearly enough pressure on the basket area where he can get fouled, uh, three-point plays, all those things. So uh, I think he's constantly trying to figure it out. Uh, but, man, when they're all rolling like they were last game, that is hard, hard, hard on the defense. And I'll tell you something else. We're talking to Jeff Van Gundy, who's nice enough to join me on the podcast today, getting ready for game three. Jeff, I, I think that Clay Thompson, who's a pure shooter, is one of the most wonderfully unselfish uh, players in this whole sport. Yeah, and think about it, how he does it. He doesn't dribble a lot, so he's easy to play with. He either catches it and shoots it, catches it and quick drive, or catches it and moves it. So he's easy to play with. And then secondarily, because he's such a great defender, Steph Curry never has to guard the hardest guy in the backcourt. Klay Thompson, whether it's a shooting guard or a point guard who's electric off the dribble, Klay Thompson is that guy. So what an absolute joy for Steph Curry to play with a guy who's so unselfish on offense, such a great shooter, and also always will take the toughest matchup. Uh, That's a backcourt that fits together perfectly. And Thompson, because of the greatness of Curry and of Durant, is often overlooked but shouldn't be. Jeff, if, let's say, again, we're, we're hypothesizing about how this will play out. I, I think we both are aware of what a big body blow uh, the Cavaliers took in game one. That's, that's quite obvious. But let's say the Warriors do make it three in four years. And we will always know how close they were to being on the verge of making it four in a row because I, you know, I think it's fair to say that if Draymond hadn't gotten suspended when he did a couple of years ago, they might have won that one too. Where will they rank? And I know the story's still being written. Where will they rank with the, with the greatest teams of all time? The sport is so different now. Uh, the rosters are different. It's it's almost impossible to think of them against the great Celtics teams or against the great uh, Showtime Laker teams. Uh, but when you win as much as they have, you have, you know, they have 73 wins in a year. They have 67 wins in a year. This year they dropped off to 58. I mean, they have been on this course of forming a dynasty in their era with their rules. Um, and like you said, with a couple tweaks in the offseason to get a better bench, huh. they could win for years to come. And can they stay hungry? Can they stay healthy? And can they stay in the mode of, we're going to sacrifice for the good of the team? Uh, that remains to be seen. But they're on their way to dynasty-type status. Jeff, I, I, this is something I talk about because I, I, I think that in so many ways, it's it. Even though it's good barroom conversation, what we used to call barroom conversation about LeBron and 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 Michael. Okay, a they're completely different players. But let me ask you a question. I don't know if I ever asked you this before. Do you think that Michael, who was six and zero in the finals with the Bulls, 
Did those Bulls ever play a team even remotely as close to being as good as the Warriors are? I thought Utah, you you know, because an all-time great point guard and an all-time great uh, power forward with an underrated shooting guard in Hornacek, I think that would be – plus I think, I think uh, Utah's depth was a little bit better, particularly than Golden State's this year. I don't think Golden State's team this year approaches its other teams. I, I think they're more vulnerable this year. Uh, but it's so hard to know because the game is so much different. The rules are different. Uh, the use of the three is so different. Um, I do know this, though. I have not seen in my time in the NBA, if I, wanted, if I was playing one game on the road for all the marbles, I'm taking Jordan. Now, that, does that mean he's had a better career than James? No, I think right now, like James, because of the longevity and all the numbers and the finals with different teams and a couple very bad teams he's, he's like dragged into the finals, um, I think James has a chance, even over Jabbar, to maybe have the best career in the NBA. But that's a discussion that's totally different from who would you want in one game to win? And uh, to me, like Jordan, I, I just, if you were going on the road to win one, particularly in the, with the rules today, with the lesson con, lesser contact and people spread out at the three-point line, I, I just don't know how you would ever guard him. Ernie, of course, he once told me that that they they used to refer to uh, a seat on the bus as the Unitas bus seat, and how they'd pull into the a hostile stadium for a game against a really good team. But they, if Unitas was sitting in that seat, they always knew they had a chance. And yeah, you've heard me say this for, for as long as we, uh, this debate has been going on. I. I can look at LeBron and say no one has influenced a game in more different positive ways than he has across his career. But if I had to pick one guy to play for my life, I'd still pick Michael. Well, and Mike, you were probably there at this game. I'm sure you were. The greatest game I've ever seen live played by any person. 55. Yeah. I, I go back to when he had 55 against the Knicks. Now, uh, I was an assistant on that team. We had the number one defense in the league by a large margin. We were playing at home in what I felt was as hard a place to play in during that period of time uh, as 100%. there was. Yep. Right? Yep. yep. Uh, the rules favored the defense back then. Uh, Jordan didn't have a lot of three-point shooting to spread the floor. Um and he he walked off the baseball field like <laughs> 10 days before, yep. uh, practiced a couple times, played in a couple games, and then dropped 55 on the road against the number one defensive team in the league as we were literally trying to beat him up, and nothing phased him. Absolutely nothing. It's still, to me, the greatest accomplishment by a basketball player that I've seen live and in person. I we we're we're in the same lane on this. It's if if there's one night that I could wish I could go back to in the NBA, it's that night because again, you you just kind of touched on this. 
He'd been playing baseball two weeks, minor league baseball two weeks before that. And then on top of everything else, not only does he drop what Spike called the double nickel on that defense and that Knicks team, but when he's going up to win the game, he throws it to Wennington <laughs> and, and they win. Well, I mean, that, it, it was a truly like uh, we were trying to double him late. You know, like, you know, they did a good job. They got the ball into to the middle of the floor to him. So Ewing is trying to come up and double team and may, and we probably didn't cover it as well as we could have, but still to go up in the air to shoot and at the last second find <laughs> Winnington. Um, and listen, we talk a lot about, you know, LeBron's teammates. It's not like Jordan always was playing with murderers row either. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know. There were a lot of Winningtons on that team. Jeff, let me go back to your broadcast team, and then I'm going to let you go. And you're so generous to spend this time with me today. Can you imagine that there's a play-by-play guy alive who knows the rules better than Michael Breen does? Oh, he's great. I mean, I'll say this. Like, the actual rules, the the minutia of the game, he knows better than I do. Like, I know, I think probably 99%, he knows it all. And, you know, he's got, he's very tight with these referees. And he's not a, uh, afraid to ask him questions. And um, I think it's what makes him so brilliant as an announcer. I mean, he's got, you know, the great calls and the signature call of bang. But um, his love of the game and love of the, like, knowing the minutia of the game, I think, is what separates him. Um, Jeff, I will tell you this, and and we've been friends for a long time. It is always a joy to listen to you guys on TV, but it is even better and heightened when it is a it, when when it is a great moment and a great finish, the way we got at the end of because you guys don't miss anything. The, the, you know, once those refs are over at the scores table, you don't know what's going to happen, but you you give us all the information that we need to understand what's going to happen next. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Jeff, thank you. Enjoy the game. I'll be watching you tonight. Enjoy the rest of the series. And, and again, it, it, it is another joy is being able to, to have you on this podcast and, and talk about basketball with you folks. This is, you know, you've heard Jeff before uh, on this podcast. And, and you know that this is the kind of guest I like to have because these are the people that I'm lucky enough to know and lucky enough to be able to get on. Continue to download. Continue to subscribe. Our numbers continue to grow. Leave comments. And we will talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica Podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica Podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 